chapter four part two of the life of washington volume five by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four part two all obstructions to the execution of the laws all combinations and associations under whatever plausible character with the real design to direct control counteract or awe the regular deliberations and action of the constituted authorities are destructive of this fundamental principle and of fatal tendency they serve to organize faction to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of party often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interests however combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning ambitious and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion towards the preservation of your government and the permanency of your present happy state it is requisite not only that you steadily discountenance irregular oppositions to its acknowledged authority but also that you resist with care the spirit of innovation upon its principles however specious the pretext one method of assault may be to effect in the forms of the constitution alterations which will impair the energy of the system and thus to undermine what cannot be directly overthrown in all the changes to which you may be invited remember that time and habit are at least as necessary to fix the true character of governments as of other human institutions that experience is the surest standard by which to test the real tendency of the existing constitution of a country that facility in changes upon the credit of mere hypothesis and opinion exposes to perpetual change from the endless variety of hypothesis and opinion and remember especially that for the efficient management of your common interests in a country so extensive as ours a government of as much vigour as is consistent with the perfect security of liberty is indispensable liberty itself will find in such a government with powers properly distributed and adjusted its surest guardian it is indeed little else than a name where the government is too feeble to withstand the enterprises of faction to confine each member of the society within the limits prescribed by the laws and to maintain all in the secure and tranquil enjoyment of the rights of person and property i have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state with particular references to the founding them on geographical discriminations let us now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally this spirit unfortunately 
is inseparable from our nature having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind it exists under different shapes in all governments more or less stifled controlled or repressed but in those of the popular form it is seen in its greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy the alternate domination of one faction over another sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities is itself a frightful despotism but this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual and sooner or later the chief of some prevailing faction more able or more fortunate than his competitors turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty without looking forward to an extremity of this kind which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight the common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it it serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration it agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms kindles the animosity of one part against another foments occasional riot and insurrection it opens the door to foreign influence and corruption which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions thus the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another there is an opinion that parties in free countries are useful checks upon the administration of the government and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty this within certain limits is probably true and in governments of a monarchical caste patriotism may look with indulgence if not with favour upon the spirit of party but in those of the popular character in governments purely elective it is a spirit not to be encouraged from their natural tendency it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose and there being constant danger of excess the effort ought to be by force of public opinion to mitigate and assuage it a fire not to be quenched it demands a uniform vigilance to prevent it bursting into a flame lest instead of warming it should consume it is important likewise that the habits of thinking in a free country should inspire caution in those entrusted with its administration to confine themselves within their respective constitutional spheres avoiding in the exercise of the powers of one department to encroach upon another the spirit of encroachment tends to consolidate the powers of all the departments in one and thus to create whatever the form of government a real despotism a just estimate of that love of power and proneness to abuse it which predominate in the human heart is sufficient to satisfy us of the truth of this position the necessity of reciprocal checks in the exercise of political power by dividing and distributing it into different depositories and constituting each the guardian of the public wheel against invasions of the others has been evinced by experiments ancient and modern some of them in our country and under our own eyes 
to preserve them must be as necessary as to institute them if in the opinion of the people the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in any particular wrong let it be corrected by an amendment in the way which the constitution designates but let there be no change by usurpation for though this in one instance may be the instrument of good it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed the president must always greatly overbalance and permanent evil any partial or transient benefit which the use can at any time yield of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity religion and morality are indispensable supports in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labour to subvert these great pillars of human happiness these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens the mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and to cherish them a volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity let it simply be asked where is the security for property for reputation for life if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle it is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government the rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government who that is a sincere friend to it can look with indifference upon attempts to shake the foundation of the fabric promote then as an object of primary importance institutions for the general diffusion of knowledge in proportion as the structure of a government gives force to public opinion it should be enlightened as a very important source of strength and security cherish public credit one method of preserving it is to use it as sparingly as possible avoiding occasions of expense by cultivating peace but remembering also that timely disbursements to prepare for danger frequently prevent much greater disbursements to repel it avoiding likewise the accumulation of debt not only by shunning occasions of expense but by vigorous exertions in time of peace to discharge the debts which unavoidable wars may have occasioned not ungenerously throwing upon posterity the burden which we ourselves ought to bear the execution of these maxims belongs to your representatives but it is necessary that public opinion should cooperate to facilitate to them the performance of their duty it is essential that you should practically bear in mind that towards the payment of debts there must be revenue that to have revenue there must be taxes that no taxes can be devised which are not more or less inconvenient and unpleasant that the intrinsic embarrassment inseparable from the selection of the proper objects which is always a choice of difficulties ought to be a decisive motive for a candid construction of the conduct of the government in making it and for a spirit of acquiescence in the measures for obtaining revenue which the public exigencies may at any time dictate observe good faith and justice towards all nations 
cultivate peace and harmony with all religion and morality enjoin this conduct and can it be that good policy does not equally enjoin it it would be worthy of a free enlightened and at no distant period a great nation to give to mankind the magnanimous and too novel example of a people always guided by an exalted justice and benevolence who can doubt but in the course of time and things the fruits of such a plan would richly repay any temporary advantages which might be lost by a steady adherence to it can it be that providence has not connected the permanent felicity of a nation with its virtue the experiment at least is recommended by every sentiment which ennobles human nature alas is it rendered impossible by its vices in the execution of such a plan nothing is more essential than that permanent inveterate antipathies against particular nations and passionate attachments for others should be excluded and that in place of them just and amicable feelings towards all should be cultivated the nation which indulges towards another an habitual hatred or an habitual fondness is in some degree a slave it is a slave to its animosity or to its affection either of which is sufficient to lead it astray from its duty and its interest antipathy in one nation against another disposes each more readily to offer insult and injury to lay hold of slight causes of umbrage and to be haughty and intractable when accidental or trifling occasions of dispute occur hence frequent collisions obstinate envenomed and bloody contests the nation prompted by ill-will and resentment sometimes impels to war the government contrary to the best calculations of policy the government sometimes participates in the national propensity and adopts through passion what reason would reject at other times it makes the animosity of the nation subservient to projects of hostility instigated by pride ambition and other sinister and pernicious motives the peace often sometimes perhaps the liberty of nations has been the victim so likewise a passionate attachment of one nation for another produces a variety of evils sympathy for the favourite nation facilitating the illusion of an imaginary common interest in cases where no real common interest exists and infusing into one the enmities of the other betrays the former into a participation in the quarrels and wars of the latter without adequate inducements or justification it leads also to concessions to the favourite nation of privileges denied to others which is apt doubly to injure the nation making the concessions by unnecessarily parting with what ought to have been retained and by exciting jealousy ill-will and a disposition to retaliate in the parties from whom equal privileges are withheld and it gives to ambitious corrupted or deluded citizens who devote themselves to the favourite nation facility to betray or sacrifice the interests of their own country without odium sometimes even with popularity gilding with the appearances of a virtuous sense of obligation a commendable deference for public opinion or a laudable zeal for public good the base or foolish compliances of ambition corruption or infatuation as avenues to foreign influence in innumerable ways such attachments are particularly alarming to the truly enlightened and independent patriot how many opportunities do they afford to tamper with domestic factions to practise the arts of seduction to mislead public opinion 
to influence or awe the public councils such an attachment of a small or weak towards a great and powerful nation dooms the former to be the satellite of the latter against the insidious wiles of foreign influence i conjure you to believe me fellow-citizens the jealousy of a free people ought to be constantly awake since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of republican government but that jealousy to be useful must be impartial else it becomes the instrument of the very influence to be avoided instead of a defence against it excessive partiality for one foreign nation and excessive dislike for another cause those whom they actuate to see danger only on one side and serve to veil and even second the arts of influence on the other real patriots who may resist the intrigues of the favoured are liable to become suspected and odious while its tools and dupes usurp the applause and confidence of the people to surrender their interests the great rule of conduct for us in regard to foreign nations is in extending our commercial relations to have with them as little political connection as possible so far as we have already formed engagements let them be fulfilled with perfect good faith here let us stop europe has a set of primary interests which to us have none or a very remote relation hence she must be engaged in frequent controversies the causes of which are essentially foreign to our concerns hence therefore it must be unwise in us to implicate ourselves by artificial ties in the ordinary vicissitudes of her politics or the ordinary combinations and collisions of her friendships or enmities our detached and distant situation invites and enables us to pursue a different course if we remain one people under an efficient government the period is not far off when we may defy material injury from external annoyance when we may take such an attitude as will cause the neutrality we may at any time resolve upon to be scrupulously respected when belligerent nations under the impossibility of making acquisitions upon us will not lightly hazard the giving us provocation when we may choose peace or war as our interest guided by justice shall counsel why forego the advantages of so peculiar a situation why quit our own to stand upon foreign ground why by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of europe entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of european ambition rivalship interest humour or caprice it is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world so far i mean as we are now at liberty to do it for let me not be understood as capable of patronizing infidelity to existing engagements i hold the maxim no less applicable to public than to private affairs that honesty is always the best policy i repeat it therefore let those engagements be observed in their genuine sense but in my opinion it is unnecessary and would be unwise to extend them taking care always to keep ourselves by suitable establishments on a respectable defensive posture we may safely trust to temporary alliances for extraordinary emergencies harmony and a liberal intercourse with all nations are recommended by policy humanity and interest but even our commercial policy should hold an equal and impartial hand neither seeking nor granting exclusive favours or preferences consulting the natural course of things diffusing and diversifying by gentle means the streams of commerce but forcing nothing establishing with powers so disposed in order to give trade a stable course 
to define the rights of our merchants and to enable the government to support them conventional rules of intercourse the best that present circumstances and mutual opinion will permit but temporary and liable to be from time to time abandoned or varied as experience and circumstances shall dictate constantly keeping in view that it is folly in one nation to look for disinterested favours from another that it must pay with a portion of its independence for whatever it may accept under that character that by such acceptance it may place itself in the condition of having given equivalents for nominal favours and yet of being reproached with ingratitude for not giving more there can be no greater error than to expect or calculate upon real favours from nation to nation it is an illusion which experience must cure which a just pride ought to discard in offering to you my countrymen these counsels of an old and affectionate friend i dare not hope they will make the strong and lasting impression i could wish for they will control the usual current of the passions or prevent our nation from running the course which has hitherto marked the destiny of nations but if i may even flatter myself that they may be productive of some partial benefit some occasional good that they may now and then recur to moderate the fury of party spirit to warn against the mischiefs of foreign intrigue to guard against the impostures of pretended patriotism this hope will be a full recompense for the solicitude for your welfare by which they have been dictated how far in the discharge of my official duties i have been guided by the principles which have been delineated the public records and other evidences of my conduct must witness to you and to the world to myself the assurance of my own conscience is but i have at least believed myself to be guided by them in relation to the still subsisting war in europe my proclamation of the twenty second of april seventeen ninety three is the index to my plan sanctioned by your approving voice and by that of your representatives in both houses of congress the spirit of that measure has continually governed me uninfluenced by any attempts to deter or divert me from it after deliberate examination with the aid of the best lights i could obtain i was well satisfied that our country under all the circumstances of the case had a right to take and was bound in duty and interest to take a neutral position having taken it i determined as far as should depend upon me to maintain it with moderation perseverance and firmness the considerations which respect the right to hold this conduct it is not necessary on this occasion to detail i will only observe that according to my understanding of the matter that right so far from being denied by any of the belligerent powers has been virtually admitted by all the duty of holding a neutral conduct may be inferred without anything more from the obligation which justice and humanity impose on every nation in cases in which it is free to act to maintain inviolate the relations of peace and amity towards other nations the inducements of interest for observing that conduct will best be referred to your own reflections and experience with me a predominant motive has been to endeavour to gain time to our country to settle and mature its yet recent institutions and to progress without interruption to that degree of strength and consistency which is necessary to give it humanly speaking the command of its own fortunes though in reviewing the incidents of my administration i am unconscious of intentional error i am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that i may have committed many errors whatever they may be i fervently beseech the almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend i shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence and that after forty-five years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal the faults of incompetent 
abilities will be consigned to oblivion as myself must soon be to the mansions of rest relying on its kindness and this as in other things and actuated by that fervent love towards it which is so natural to a man who views in it the native soil of himself and his progenitors for several generations i anticipate with pleasing expectation that retreat in which i promise myself to realize without alloy the sweet enjoyment of partaking in the midst of my fellow-citizens the benign influence of good laws under a free government the ever-favorite object of my heart and the happy reward as i trust of our mutual cares labors and dangers the sentiments of veneration with which this address was generally received were manifested in almost every part of the union some of the state legislatures directed it to be inserted at large in their journals and nearly all of them passed resolutions expressing their respect for the person of the president their high sense of his exalted services and the emotions with which they contemplated his retirement from office although the leaders of party might rejoice at this event it produced solemn and anxious reflections in the great body even of those who belonged to the opposition the person in whom alone the voice of the people could be united having declined a re-election the two great parties in america brought forward their respective chiefs and every possible effort was made by each to obtain the victory mr john adams and mr thomas pinckney the late minister at london were supported as president and vice-president by the federalists the whole force of the opposite party was exerted in favor of mr jefferson motives of vast influence were added on this occasion to those which usually impel men in a struggle to retain or acquire power the continuance or the change not only of those principles on which the internal affairs of the united states have been administered but of the conduct which have been observed towards foreign nations was believed to depend on the choice of a chief magistrate by one party the system pursued by the existing administration with regard to the belligerent powers had been uniformly approved by the other it had been as uniformly condemned in the contest therefore which preceded the choice of electors the justice of the complaints which were made on the part of the french republic were minutely discussed and the consequences which were to be apprehended from her resentment or from yielding to her pretensions were reciprocally urged as considerations entitled to great weight in the ensuing election the minister of france endeavors to influence the approaching election in such a struggle it was not to be expected that foreign powers could feel absolutely unconcerned in november while the parties were so balanced that neither scale could be perceived to preponderate mr adet addressed a letter to the secretary of state in which he recapitulated the numerous complaints which had been urged by himself and his predecessors against the government of the united states and reproached that government in terms of great asperity with violating those treaties which had secured its independence with ingratitude to france and with partiality to england these wrongs which commenced with the insidious proclamation of neutrality were said to be so aggravated by the treaty concluded with great britain that mr day announced the orders of the directory to suspend his ministerial functions with the federal government but the cause he added which had so long restrained the just resentment of the executive directory from bursting forth now tempered its effects the name of america notwithstanding the wrongs of its government still excited sweet emotions in the hearts of frenchmen and the executive directory wished not to break with a people whom they loved to salute with the appellation of a friend this suspension of his functions therefore was not to be regarded as a rupture between france and the united states but as a mark of just discontent which was to last until the government of the united states returned to sentiments and to measure more conformable to the interests of the alliance 
and to the sworn friendship between the two nations the letter was concluded in the following terms alas time has not yet demolished the fortifications with which the english roughened this country nor those the americans raised for their defence their half-rounded summits still appear in every quarter amidst plains on the tops of mountains the traveller need not search for the ditch which served to encompass them it is still open under his feet scattered ruins of houses laid waste which the fire had partly respected in order to leave monuments of british fury are still to be found men still exist who can say here a ferocious englishman slaughtered my father there my wife tore her bleeding daughter from the hands of an unbridled englishman alas the soldiers who fell under the sword of the britons are not yet reduced to dust the labourer in turning up his field still draws from the bosom of the earth their whitened bones while the ploughman with tears of tenderness and gratitude still recollects that his fields now covered with rich harvests have been moistened with french blood while everything around the inhabitants of this country animates them to speak of the tyranny of great britain and of the generosity of frenchmen when england has declared a war of death to that nation to avenge herself for its having cemented with its blood the independence of the united states it was at this moment their government made a treaty of amity with their ancient tyrant the implacable enemy of their ancient ally o americans covered with noble scars o you who have so often flown to death and to victory with french soldiers you who know those generous sentiments which distinguish the true warrior whose hearts have always vibrated with those of your companions in arms consult them to-day to know what they experience recollect at the same time that if magnanimous souls with liveliness resent an affront they also know how to forget one let your government return to itself and you will still find in frenchmen faithful friends and generous allies martha washington's bedroom at mount vernon returning to their beloved mount vernon with general washington after his retirement in seventeen ninety six as first president of the united states martha washington seldom spent a night away from the historic mansion overlooking the potomac there she continued to offer a gracious hospitality to the many visitors attracted by her distinguished husband she never recovered from his death in seventeen ninety nine and dwelt in deep mourning until she followed him may twenty second eighteen o two her remains rest with those of washington in the vault at mount vernon as if to remove all doubts respecting the purpose for which this extraordinary letter was written a copy was on the day of its date transmitted to a printer for publication whatever motives might have impelled mr day to make this open and direct appeal to the american people in the critical moment of their election of a chief magistrate it does not appear in any material degree to have influenced that election many reflecting men who had condemned the course of the administration could not approve this interference in the internal affairs of the united states and the opposite party generally resented it as an attempt to control the operations of the american people in the exercise of one of the highest acts of sovereignty and to poison the fountain of their liberty and independence by mingling foreign intrigue with their elections viewing it as a fulfilment of their most gloomy prognostics respecting the designs of france to establish an influence in the councils of america they believed the best interests of their country to require that it should be defeated and their exertions against the candidate mr Aday, was understood to favor were the more determined and the more vigorous the president's speech to congress on the seventh of december while this dubious and ardently contested election was depending the president for the last time met the national legislature in the senate chamber his address on the occasion was comprehensive temperate and dignified in presenting a full and clear view of the situation of the united states and in recommending those great national measures in the utility of which he felt the confidence no personal considerations could induce the omission of those to which open and extensive hostility had been avowed 
after congratulating congress on the internal situation of the united states and on the progress of that humane system which had been adopted for the preservation of peace with their indian neighbors after stating the measures which had been taken in execution of the treaties with great britain spain and algiers and the negotiations which were pending with tunis and tripoli he proceeded to say to an active external commerce the protection of a naval force is indispensable this is manifest with regard to wars in which a state is itself a party but besides this it is in our own experience that the most sincere neutrality is not a sufficient guard against the depredations of nations at war to secure respect to a neutral flag requires a naval force organized and ready to vindicate it from insult or aggression this may even prevent the necessity of going to war by discouraging belligerent powers from committing such violations of the rights of the neutral party as may first or last leave no other option from the best information i have been able to obtain it would seem as if our trade to the mediterranean without a protecting force will always be insecure and our citizens exposed to the calamities from which numbers of them have but just been relieved these considerations invite the united states to look to the means and to set about the gradual creation of a navy the increasing progress of their navigation promises them at no distant period the requisite supply of seamen and their means in other respects favor the undertaking it is an encouragement likewise that their particular situation will give weight and influence to a moderate naval force in their hands will it not then be advisable to begin without delay to provide and lay up the materials for the building and equipping of ships of war and to proceed in the work by degrees in proportion as our resources shall render it practicable without inconvenience so that a future war of europe may not find our commerce in the same unprotected state in which it was found by the present the speech next proceeded earnestly to recommend the establishment of national works for manufacturing such articles as were necessary for the defence of the country and also of an institution which should grow up under the patronage of the public and be devoted to the improvement of agriculture the advantages of a military academy and of a national university were also urged and the necessity of augmenting the compensations to the officers of the united states in various instances was explicitly stated adverting to the dissatisfaction which had been expressed by one of the great powers of europe the president said while in our external relations some serious inconveniences and embarrassments have been overcome and others lessened it is with much pain and deep regret i mention that circumstances of a very unwelcome nature have lately occurred our trade has suffered and is suffering extensive injuries in the west indies from the cruisers and agents of the french republic and communications have been received from its minister here which indicate the danger of a further disturbance of our commerce by its authority and which are in other respects far from agreeable it has been my constant sincere and earnest wish in conformity with that of our nation to maintain cordial harmony and a perfectly friendly understanding with that republic this wish remains unabated and i shall persevere in the endeavour to fulfil it to the utmost extent of what shall be consistent with a just and indispensable regard to the rights and honour of our country nor will i easily cease to cherish the expectation that a spirit of justice candour and friendship on the part of the republic will eventually ensure success in pursuing this course however i cannot forget what is due to the character of our government and nation or to a full and entire confidence in the good sense patriotism self-respect and fortitude of my countrymen i reserve for a special message a more particular communication on this interesting subject the flourishing state of the revenue the expectation that the system for the gradual extinction of the national debt would be completed 
at this session the anxiety which he felt respecting the militia were successively mentioned and the speech was concluded in the following terms the situation in which i now stand for the last time in the midst of the representatives of the people of the united states naturally recalls the period when the administration of the present form of government commenced and i cannot omit the occasion to congratulate you and my country on the success of the experiment nor to repeat my fervent supplications to the supreme ruler of the universe and sovereign arbiter of nations that his providential care may still be extended to the united states that the virtue and happiness of the people may be preserved and that the government which they have instituted for the protection of their liberties may be perpetual the answer of the senate embraced the various topics of the speech and approved every sentiment it contained to a review of the prosperous situation of the interior of the united states the senate subjoined whilst contemplating the causes that produced this auspicious result we must acknowledge the excellence of the constitutional system and the wisdom of the legislative provisions but we should be deficient in gratitude and justice did we not attribute a great portion of these advantages to the virtue firmness and talents of your administration which have been conspicuously displayed in the most trying times and on the most critical occasions it is therefore with the sincerest regrets that we now receive an official notification of your intentions to retire from the public employments of your country when we review the various scenes of your public life so long and so successfully devoted to the most arduous services civil and military as well during the struggles of the american revolution as the convulsive periods of our recent date we cannot look forward to your retirement without our warmest affections and most anxious regards accompanying you and without mingling with our fellow-citizens at large in the sincerest wishes for your personal happiness that sensibility and attachment can express the most effectual consolation that can offer for the loss we are about to sustain arises from the animating reflection that the influence of your example will extend to your successors and the united states thus continue to enjoy an able upright and energetic administration End of chapter four part two